Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Before we start, I want to let you know about one thing. If you haven't seen it yet, be sure to visit youtube.com slash soulpancake and check out our animated series, Unmistakable Creative Shorts, where we've taken some of the most poetic parts of our interviews and brought them to life visually. Now, let's get into the show. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Bob Chapman. Bob is a different kind of leader, one who treats the employees who work for him like members of his family. And what Bob refers to as truly human leadership has not only led to increased employee satisfaction, but record growth for his company. In this episode, we talk about the difference between leadership and management and changing the broken language of business. Thank you. Bob, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's good to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, I came across your story actually by two different sources. One was in Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, where he wrote extensively about the work that you've done. And then coincidentally, almost two weeks later, uh, one of the publicists at Penguin emailed and said, hey, Srini, do you want to talk to Bob Chapman? He has a book called Everybody Matters coming out. And I remember right when I opened the first book, Simon had written the forward to it, and I said, wow, that's, that's, that doesn't seem like a coincidence. So uh, it is really, really great to have you here. Uh, you know, for our listeners who may or may not know much about who you are and your background, I'd love to give them a context and tell them a bit about your story, your journey, your background, and how that has led to everything that you're up to now. Okay, well, I mean, I began uh, as a young man uh, in, in the University of Indiana pursuing a degree in accounting, which doesn't seem like a very human approach to uh, leadership, uh, financial approach. And, and so I, I got a very conventional undergraduate degree in accounting and a very conventional graduate uh, MBA uh, program with the desire to be a public accountant. And so my journey began with very traditional, I would say, good uh, uh, professional education. And, and, and then I joined Pricewaterhouse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in, for the context of your listeners, really a, a Nothing unusual. Uh, simply wanted to be a public accountant, and and, and then my father invited me. Uh, I'd never considered working for this family company that my dad had invested in, and so, 1969, two years after I was out of school, I I kind of left the field of public accounting, and got into kind of creating my own management development program, which has been a journey of 40 years. So that's kind of how I got started. Uh, and it's been a very eclectic journey. Uh, uh, my dad died six years after I joined the company. So it gave me a profound sense of responsibility for the stewardship of this company, 
uh, at a very young age. So I've had the opportunity and the exposure for almost 40 years uh, of leadership. So it's been a long journey for me uh, in that period of time. So, you know, I want to do uh, a deep dive into to sort of the early parts of your life, uh, you know, adolescence, growing up, you know, influences, you know, mentors and people who ultimately shaped where you've ended up and, and the decisions you've made and the, and the way that you've run this company. I mean, when you look back uh, at that early part of your life, are there things that ultimately would put you down this trajectory? Yes. Uh, I've been asked that uh, question a number of times, uh, and I've even asked them myself, how did I evolve to the, the beliefs and, the, and, and, and this intellectual curiosity I've had? The answer is I don't know. I had, uh, you know, Raj, when we were writing the book together, he kept trying. He interviewed high school friends of mine. Uh-huh. Uh, he went back and kept saying, you know, where did this come from? Where did this come from? And I just – I think my answer uh, is that I had a very ordinary childhood. I had nice parents. My dad was an incredibly fine human being who worked very hard. Some simple – you know, my mother was the, the daughter of an Iowa farmer. My dad – so father was a clerk in, a, in some office in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So, you know, I, I would not say to you my parents were my inspiration. They were, the, they were my family. They were, gave me unconditional love. But uh, I think it was my um, – I'd have to say to you that my intellectual curiosity, not academically but my human curiosity, my always being in uh, interest in what causes people to behave the way they do. And that's kind of odd for an accounting background, but I don't even know. If you said to me, another good question is, whatever made you decide to be an accountant? I'd say, I have no idea. My father was, but, you know, he had left that field by the time. So I, I, I had a very ordinary childhood, but I, I, had a, I had an extremely positive attitude. And one of the things I'd say to you I was asked this question uh, just a couple of days ago. What are the keys for leadership? And I believe in my journey, this 40-year journey I've been on, that a key for leadership is the ability to give people a sense of hope Mm -hmm. uh, for a better future. Uh, Whether it's the president of the United States or president of a company or president of a hospital, that is our goal in leadership is give people a sense, a grounded sense of hope. And I am an eternal optimist. And I don't know if you can be. I don't know if you can be a strong leader without a sense of optimism. And I mean grounded optimism, you know, that you can give people, inspire people uh, towards a better future. And I think that is our responsibility in leadership, in organizations, in government, in the military, in healthcare is to give people a sense of grounded uh, there's an expression for, uh, that uh, walk with your head in your cloud in the clouds and your feet on the ground mm. and I'd say to you that's what I consider to be leadership and I don't honestly know where that came from other than I've always been a very positive person so you, you're like you said I, I think the 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 most bizarre paradox uh, of you in you know the 10 minutes that I've talked to you is the fact that you are an accountant and yet yeah. you have this incredibly recovering know, human approach to leadership. Were there early career, career experiences that uh, shaped that? Like while you were an accountant, were there early you know, business leaders that you worked with? And I mean, to rise from you know, being an accountant all the way to the CEO of a billion-dollar company, that's a hell of a climb. And so I want to talk about the climb and, and what it is that enables that level of accomplishment in a human being. Well, in the book... 
uh, when, when Raj and I wrote the book, I tried to reflect back on this journey and what kind of shaped the view we came to in truly human leadership. Uh, and probably the, the most important message, the, the most important awakening, the learning I had was along this journey. And it, it was a very eclectic, self-made journey because my father died and I was kind of left there even though I had a good board of directors. But they, uh, I really was a journey I was on myself. And I would say to you what I came to was that business could be the most powerful force for good in the world if it would accept the profound responsibility for the lives entrusted to us. And that journey began way back in 1997. Uh, uh, well, let me go back one step further. In the 1975, when my dad died, the company drew, grew, I was able to take my ideas and a combination of opportunities and grow the company from a broken $18 million company to a, a vibrant growing $72 million company. That was from like 1976 to 1982. And then about in the early 80s, the comp- all the things that allowed the company to grow dramatically after its 100-year history all of a sudden turned uh, to be challenges. And so the company started collapsing to $55 million. And very painfully financially, and our banks pulled on us. And one of the things I want to say to you, which I, since I've been guest speaker at MBA programs around the country, is from my greatest challenges came my greatest growth. I learned more in adversity than I ever learned in our good times. And, and, and I think that is one of the lessons that I would want to share. In 1983, my banks, well, from 75 when my dad died to 83, our bankers, even though we were very marginal in 1975, I, I did so well so quickly, got the trust of my banks, and they started supporting and encouraging my growth. And in 1983, when we experienced those challenges, they dramatically pulled our line of credit, and I spent nine months knowing how not knowing how I was going to make the payroll every week. I learned more in that nine months than I had learned in my education or in the good years when we were, the apparent good years when we were growing from 75, from 18 million to 72 million. So that's one of the lessons I would want to share with your listeners is uh, from my challenges came my greatest growth. And the company we are, who I am today and what this company is today and our leadership model reflects the learnings that we experienced in those incredibly challenging times. Uh, there's an old expression, you only grow one way when you eat ice cream. Hmm. Okay, Good times don't make good people. It is people that you – know, and quite often stories of people are people who have survived incredible challenges and gone on, never forgetting the lessons of those challenges, learning from those, and letting them shape the future. So that is the biggest thing I tell you. The challenges in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, through about 1987 were horrendous. They were Suppliers were repossessing our coffee makers because we hadn't paid coffee in six months. You know, we, we, anything we can do, we, we, we didn't know every day who we could pay and who we couldn't pay. So that that is when our company, our company and our business strategy was shaped. That is not when our culture was shaped. That is when our business, the learnings from those experiences shaped our business strategy. Later on in the uh, in the late 1990s, early 2000, 
we began to experience some ideas about why can't business be fun? Why do we call it work? Okay. Why do we have fun when we leave work? Why is TGIF a big uh, day of celebration in this country? Why do, why do most people feel they work for an organization that doesn't care about them? And three out of four people are engaged. And so we started having these uh, experiences of trying to have fun, make business fun, send people home fulfilled. And all of a sudden we started learning this. So that's when the cultural piece, which is uh, drawing your interest, began to blossom on top of a good business strategy that involved from sh- the mistakes we had in the, uh, in, in the 1980s. So it's a combination of a good business strategy uh, shaped by the challenges and these cultural awakenings of the power of business to shape lives. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense, and it opens up a, a ton of other questions that I have. Uh, you know, you talked about a period of going from 18 to $72 million. And I think, you know, the average person who's listening probably is not even thinking about things on that scale. Maybe some of them are that I don't know of, but I'm curious, you know, how you develop a vision for a future like that, that ultimately leads you to getting there. Like, how do we do that in our own lives with the work? That you know, uh, uh, I had, I'd had, as I said, I had a pretty good education. I'd had some good experience and price were out of, Price Waterhouse, when I'm an auditor, think of an auditor and we think of the gray shade, you know, the green eye shade and, and, and numbers. My intellectual curiosity was sparked by how do companies make money? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I looked at real estate companies, zinc mining companies, railroad companies, uh, railroad car manufacturing companies. And my while I was looking professionally at the numbers and validating the numbers, my intellectual curiosity, how does this company make money and what are its challenges? And so it was a tremendous kind of case study. And so I, I was shaped by that. And then I got into Barry Weimler, a company that was started in 1885. My father uh, acquired uh, an interest that ended up being controlling interest for $30,000 in the 1950s. And, and I got into this company, which had never been able to grow beyond its founders innovations in the in the in the early 1900s it survived but never able to grow so the company hadn't grown in decades and i brought some ideas i said to the people how do we create a better future you know this is again from my education and we started getting into solar energy at the time because of the energy crisis we started to get into electronic uh, product lines that, we, that were extension of our product line. We started to get into new products. And I said, to build a future, we've got to grow. And so I introduced the idea of growth. I happened to hit on an uh, opportunity to produce fillers for the, the Miller Brewing Company, electronic inspection equipment for Carlsberg Brewing in Denmark. Everything, it, it seemed like everything I touched turned to gold. Mm. You know, and when I, again, I'm 30, 31, 32 years old, and everything seemed to I had this idea, we'd try it, and we developed. The problem was that I, here's a company and an individual, A, my dad had died, I I'd had six years with him, but I only what I learned myself, my dad just gave me the opportunity for learning, he wasn't my teacher. And so I had all these ideas that were gonna build up. So my dad passed away, and I get the company on sound financial footing real quickly, which it had not been. And we start growing and we grew because we, we said, where are some markets that we could go after that have a better future than our history? So what I said was our history is rich and we're proud of our history, 
but our history is not our future. And so we needed to create a future. So we began these organic new technology ideas that, you know, ended up exploding again for 18 to 72 million. We were hiring people all over the world. This growth was, uh, uh, and it was the talk of town, but I didn't have at the same time with these ideas, I didn't have the, the financial disciplines I should have had at a young, I should have had, but I was so enamored with the sensational growth that I didn't have the full tool package to, to grow with discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's another message. Growth is wonderful. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's very gratifying. But you've got to have financial discipline so you never put your people or your business at risk. And I didn't have that piece of the puzzle figured out at age 32. Funny because I, I think I've learned that lesson even growing a small company uh, last year. And uh, you know, it, it, I like that you talked about the Midas touch that you had during that period uh, because I, I think that you know somebody had told me once it's a, in good times it feels like it's going to last forever, and in bad times it feels like it's never going to end. And yeah, you I think that's a good summary. The 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 adversity period being one of the most informative, uh, both as a leader and as as a business owner and as a person. Uh, I'd like to talk a bit more in depth about some of the key lessons that you brought from that time period. And more importantly, what do you think it is that differentiates the person who breaks in a moment of adversity versus the one who grows from it? You know, I, I look back on that period of time. And when, in 1983, when the banks who a week before this uh, event had told me we were one of their we were having some challenges, but they said, look, just understand your challenges, come back to us and explain your challenges. But, you know, we, we think the world of you. And then I went back and we experienced another, you know, some more issues with our inventory at the end of the year. And I had to go back to the banks and said, it's going to be a little worse than I thought. And they went from saying you're, you're one of our people we believe in the most to we want our money back and we want it back tomorrow. And so I went into this sense of cardiac arrest and as I reflect on, on, on that, what did I learn? You know, I don't know. There was an article years ago when Reagan was president and somebody wrote in and said, thank you, Mr. Reagan, for the recession. Because what it forced me to do is go back to my fundamentals. I had, I had, I had created, I thought I had to have two cars. We had to have a bigger house. And we're both working two jobs. And when the recession hit and we lost our job, we went back to the basics and we focused on our family. So what happens is that when you're put in these incredible challenges, I don't remember ever being stressed. I must have been, but, you know, I don't ever – I I took – I'll give you an example. We call a meeting for a Saturday morning. I'm trying to calm people down. You know, this is maybe – three months after the banks pulled on. We're living day to day on the cash we have because nobody will lend us a nickel and we can't pay back the banks and they're putting tremendous pressure on us to pay them back. And I remember start calling a Saturday morning meeting. We, and I, so we show up it's Saturday morning and uh, I said, well, let's get a cup of coffee before we start. And my VP of finance says, Bob, we forgot to tell you. They repossessed our coffee maker yesterday. We haven't paid them in six months. And, and my immediate reaction without even a blink was, you know, I never really liked that coffee. Why don't I run out and get you guys a cup of coffee at McDonald's and I'll be right back. I d- you know, I didn't even hesitate. I remember that experience. I would also say to you uh, in 1984, once we got refinanced barely by one of these guys in a dark suit in an alley, you know, it's called asset-based lending. Uh, I went to my finance team and I said, guys, 
We've got a great history, but our history doesn't give us the future. We've seen that now clearly. I need to go out and start acquiring companies. And they looked at me and said, Bob, great idea, brilliant idea. We only got one problem. And I said, what's that? And they said, we don't have any money, Bob. Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. Repeat after me, Bob, we have no money. And I looked at him and said, and this is, this is a very defining moment in my 40-year journey. I looked at them and said, don't tell me what I can't do. I said we need to do acquisitions. I didn't say I needed money. And uninformed, uninhibited, I went out and started doing acquisitions. It's kind of like going on shopping without your wallet. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so I began acquiring companies and, and, and I did it with incredible intensity because I wanted to create a future. But I had no and, – and so I would say to you, those are some of the how – you, how you deal with adversity in your life, both at work and personally, mm-hmm. and, and convert the challenge into a learning opportunity. Uh, because I had no money – when I started doing acquisitions, again, 77% of all acquisitions statistically fail. It, we wouldn't be sitting here 80 acquisitions later if that was our case, okay? So, but thank God we began doing acquisitions where failure was disaster. We would have gone broke. Any acquisition in the early stage, we were too fragile financially. And if anyone didn't work, and so we had, we began doing acquisitions where failure was not an option. Uh, it wasn't just something we wanted to do. We needed to do it, and we learned very good discipline. So we, we, you know, we, we learned what we didn't need that we thought we needed. I thought you needed to build consensus on all of our decisions. So I was always trying to, you know, as a young man, I thought got all these older people working for me. I need to get their support. And when the when the crisis hit, I said, you know what? I need to go into town and start shooting. And I hope I hit the I hope I hit the targets because you know I only got one chance. And so. You create this clarity of purpose, absolute, we're going to make it through this. And you've got to be positive. You've got to look for the positive. You've got to deal with the negative. You can't let it overwhelm you because people look to you for hope. I was the only piece of hope they had because financially they knew we couldn't pay our bills. They knew our suppliers were calling daily. They knew we couldn't buy, buy materials. So I would say ungrounded you know, uh, uh, optimism and, and dealing with this adversity in a positive way is a key for leadership. Whether you're president of the United States, President Barry Wehmler, president of Xerox, you've got to find a way to give people hope so that they will work with you and follow you and help you realize the vision. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical. Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you think the ability to see such a grand vision... Uh, you know, acquisitions. That's like, like you said, I mean, your, your finance people were thinking this is nuts. That ability to see such a grand vision in such a dark moment, do you think that that's just inherently built into certain people because of who they are? Or do you think that can be learned? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I honestly don't know because I meet a lot of people in leadership positions that I am astounded that they're in those positions. Um, everybody has got a unique personality and I honestly, I, I have, oh, you know, people used to joke when I was a young man that if I walked in a room full of, uh, cow manure that I'd probably say there must be a pony in here someplace, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the expression. So again, I would say to you in any situation of leadership, any situation, uh, parenting is an example of leadership, as you know. Uh, a sense of grounded optimism, a sense of hope, a sense of a purpose. If you don't know where you're going, how do you know what you're going to do today? So, you know, that, that vision, which is a very powerful part of our leadership model today, developed probably 15 years ago where we started not creating budgets, but we created visions. Where are you going why do you want to go there? And when you get there, why will you have taken your people to a better place? And that, that I, you know, I ask people all the time, when I, if you and I were having dinner tonight, I'd say to you, with the time you have left on this earth, whatever time that is, what do you hope your legacy is going to be? What do you want to do with the time you have left? Why don't you write your uh, memorial service that you want me to give someday 50 years from now? 
write about what you want me to say about you and then go make it true. Okay? Go live the life of the person you want to be remembered as. And so I don't know how anybody does anything without a vision. Because, you know, quite often when I ask people sitting next to me, what do you hope to do with the time you have left? They'll say, well, next year we're going to China. My, my daughter's getting married. I said, those are events. That's not a vision. That's an event. So I, I believe in business. I believe in our personal life. We need to have a vision, a purpose for which we get up every day and it creates clarity of direction. Wow. Uh, I love that because I think it can be applied to anybody. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A mother... You know, who's, uh-huh. yeah, I'll say to a mother whose you know, kids are not far off from going to college, what are you going to do with your life? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, everybody to me defines life so much as events. Okay, we're going to take a trip to Africa and see a safari next year. Well, that's great. How does that fit into your life? I don't know. We're just going to go to Africa next year. So I, I think when we live with purpose, it creates clarity for every day what we want to do with our time. And, you know, you can't go back and relive today. You got one chance for today and it's over. And you want to live it with a sense of of you're moving in the direction of where you want to be. It, it, it creates unbelievable clarity for you making decisions about what you're going to do with the time you have if you know where you're going and why you want to go there. And I, I would recommend – and I when I look at businesses, I rarely – you know, we bought 80 companies. I've rarely – come across a business that can define that vision. They have budgets. They can tell you the financial performance, mm-hmm. but they can't tell you where they're going. Wow. So one of the things that you have talked about uh, consistently throughout our conversation is this idea of grounded optimism. And yes. I am curious how you distinguish between grounded optimism and delusional optimism. <laughs> Easy. I've, I've had a lot of people work for me over the years that we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And, you know, I can tell by the way they say it that, you know, they, 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 and they intend well. They intend to do what they say they're going to do. But I don't feel the connectedness, you know, I don't feel that sense of taking a vision and turning it into actionable items, okay? Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of, you, you, you kind of get a sense for that. People who talk a good game but don't know how to play a good game. And there's lots, it's not, you know, I'm not criticizing, I mean, just, my point is, if you, if you give people a sense of grounded optimism, and then the next day you sit down and say, okay, now how are we going to do that? For example, I'll give you the example that pops in my mind as I'm talking, is in, in, in the early 2000s, we decided that our greatest concern was leaving a legacy, that this business model of truly human leadership where we care for the lives entrusted to us, how can we ensure that it lives on beyond our time? A vision, okay? Well, we got up the next day and said, well, if we're going to do that, what are we going to do? So we began doing actionable items. We created course content. We created a vision for a university. We created how we're going to invite professors, students. So we took an idea and immediately put it in the context of actionable items that allow us to move towards that vision. And to me, that you can feel that in people, you know, who are just eternally optimistic but not connected to actionable items. You've got to be able to convert a vision into something that is actionable items so people feel they're moving along that journey towards the vision and you can encourage them. 
Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's start talking uh, specifically about leadership and, and specifically about the way you lead your companies. I mean, the things that I read in Simon's book and even, you know, just from the opening of your book about the fact that, you know, you've done things in incredibly difficult situations like not doing layoffs, even though, you know, you couldn't afford not to do them. Uh, the kinds of things I think that many of us view as incredibly utopian and unlikely in the situations that we're in. And I think, you know, for, for people who don't really understand what this is all about, I'd love for you to give us sort of an overview. And then I'd like to do a deeper dive into a lot of these principles, because I have some very personal questions about this based on my own experiences having worked uh, in corporate. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I think it all goes back to this uh, learning that this experience I had where all of a sudden I realized, well, the first experience I honestly was in 1997 uh, when we acquired a company and I went down to visit them and uh, it was during March, March Madness was going on. I was getting a cup of coffee and I was seeing people standing around talking about what sports team they'd, what college team they had bet on in the office pool and they were really having fun you know they were enjoying each other they you know it was five dollars ten dollars whatever it was it was insignificant but again i said i'm kind of a, a student of human behavior and and so I, I watched them and i don't remember thinking of this at the time but i thought the closer it got to eight o'clock you could just see the enthusiasm go out of their body and i think we go to college we get a job we have great expectations for a career and we call it a job and we bet on basketball teams in college, which is not going to change the world. It's going to change anybody's life. But that's where we, we, have to, we have to find a way to have joy and camaraderie with other people. And I remember walking into a meeting with our, uh, some of our team members and stimulated by the environment I'd been in, I'd say, why? I said to myself, why can't business be fun? And so we created a game for this team. You know, uh, if you achieve this, uh, you get a, you, and you're the winner of the, for this week, uh, you get $100. And if the team makes a team goal, the team does not You know, I, I did. It was just that simple. And we saw profound changes in behavior and joy and fun and, and camaraderie, just exactly like we saw. And so we started having the second event was I was at our church one time and I was watching the, my mentor. The, church, the rector of our church gave a sermon. I thought, what an incredible opportunity for somebody to stand before a crowd of two, 300 people and inspire us to be the person we're intended to be. Uh, and I, I, I got up from the pew to walk out with my wife and I said to myself, oh my God, they've only got us for an hour a week at church and we have people for 40 hours a week in our care. We have, business could be the most powerful force for good if we embrace the profound responsibility for the lives of the people entrusted to us. And then finally, and I'm sure your listeners can relate to this, uh, if you've ever been at a wedding and seen the father give away his bride in front of all of his friends and family to this young man in the hopes that this young man is going to be a good steward of, these precious li of this precious life of his daughter. And in that, and again, can't believe I was sitting in a wedding, as many of you and your, your readers have been, and my mind went to our 9,000 team members and said, you know, every one of our 9,000 team members around the world are somebody's precious child that we have a chance, like that young man in the wedding, to allow that person to be who they're intended to be. And, and if you combine that with the power of business, 
with these precious lives and so I it changed everything that I had experienced in my education. It made it apparent to me that the things I was doing to become a father, a good parent of six kids, were about leadership. And and it's where it's why Simon talked about it in his book. Mm-hmm. Parenting and leadership is identical. What is parenting? It is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to you through birth, adoption, or second marriage. What's business leadership? It is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to you for people who walk in your door every day, hoping to have a chance to express their gifts and be appreciated for. And so all of a sudden I said, you know what? That's not a receptionist. That's not an engineer. That's not a salesperson. That's not an accountant. Those are somebody's precious child that I have been entrusted to their life. And I want to be able to say to their parents, their loved one, that I've been a good steward of that profound responsibility. And it changed everything. When you see people not as functions, but as somebody's precious child, that you have had, you are going to have a chance through your leadership to impact. And what it led us to realize profoundly, because we started getting the feedback, is when we started caring for our people, genuinely caring for these precious lives, they told us 90% of the feedback was how it improved their marriage and their parenting of their children. 90% of our feedback. And so it never occurred to me, not in my education, because remember, I took management classes, mm-hmm. got a management degree, got a job in management. So what did I try and do? I tried to manage people. Name anybody who wants to be managed or you can manage. So we try. We create this environment that we're going to go out and get a good education, get a good job, and tell people what to do because we're smarter than they are. That's why I pay us more. And in fact, I've learned through these awakenings, these experiences I told you, that it's just the exact opposite of what I was taught. Our job as leaders is to allow those people who join us in our endeavors to be the person they're intended to be towards a common vision and recognize and celebrate their progress along that. And what you see and what we have seen since we embraced this in the early 2000s, we've seen our organization thrive. We've seen people blossom We've seen ordinary people do extraordinary things. And uh, it is incredibly gratifying because the feedback we get consistently is people describe it to our Simon Sinek and others, Amy Cuddy, number two TED Talk in the world. They describe what they experience here as a family. They don't say like a family. They say it is a family here. And why do they use the word family? Because what is family? It is a word that represents the ultimate caring environment, the place where you have unconditional love and care. And so what we found is, uh, and then Amy Cuddy and Simon who came up in October, Amy Cuddy said, I thought places, and she's a Harvard professor, she said, Bob, I I thought places like this only existed in my head. This is as close to utopia as I've ever seen. In fact, she said, Bob, I can't write a Harvard case study because I can't find words to describe what I just felt uh, in experiencing your people and how they, they relate to this truly human leadership. So this journey has been amazing because it never occurred to me that the way we lead would affect the way people live their family lives mm-hmm. and that we can profoundly affect the children of the world, the communities of the world and the caring in the world but in business. Business could be, should be the most powerful force for good in the world. 
Wow. Um, so I have a few questions about that. There are a couple of things that come to mind. One of them is a question of how you deal with people who are, you know, struggling work-wise. Uh, as somebody who has been probably fired from every single job I've been at, my natural skepticism is: what are the chances that I'm going to find somebody like you as a leader anywhere I go? And the other uh, question is: why is this not more prevalent in organizations? Like, why is it other organizations haven't embraced it? the way that you guys have? So I would say to you, the first question is, uh, is, is virtually the first question I get every time. <laughs> what do you do about, what do you do about the people that don't get it? Is, is that a fair expression of that's, your that's, first? That's thing? one way to okay. put it. I mean, right. I, like I said, maybe they don't get it or they're just not, you know, up to snuff for you guys in terms of performing. The answer is, um, the simple answer and the most powerful answer is we don't focus on the people that don't get it. We focus on the people that do get it. What is our media today focus on? What are we inundated with in 24-hour cable news every day? We're focused on the brokenness of the world. Yeah. And, and, we, we, and we share the brokenness. And so what are organizations? John Doe got fired. This guy didn't get promoted. Uh, you know, all, organizations tend to, just like our news organization, what – there's an expression in the media, what bleeds reads. So I say, I am sure there's some people that don't get it. And I know there's a few people that don't get it, but the vast majority, the vast majority of the people are, are ready for leadership. The issue is not the people normally with rare exceptions. The issue is people don't have the tools to be good leaders. They're not taught to be good leaders. They're taught to be managers. Remember, when I got my education, when I think back on my undergraduate and my graduate degrees and what I experienced in business, it was always about me and my success. I was never, never, never taught to care about the others that I would touch along my journey to what we define as success, which is money, power, and position. We don't define it as true success. We talk it as, as, as success. People are introduced with money, power, and position. And so what we learned was everything was the opposite of what we thought, that leadership is, is the profound responsibility over the lives entrusted to you. And your goal is to inspire them towards a common purpose, the vision we talked about. And when you find people in that journey, either in leadership position, which most of the problems are in leadership positions, not in positions influenced by leaders, uh, sometimes people simply for whatever reason, because of the way they've been treated, because of their education, because of their predisposition, can't embrace truly human leadership. But what we, 90% of our focus is to encourage and hold up the, the ones that do. There's an expression that you'll love, uh, two expressions, shine a light in your organization and look for the goodness and hold it up, okay? To inspire others to be like that and to recognize and appreciate those people. The other one that I, you know, that I want your listeners to hear, which I love, is we paid people for their hands for years, and they would have given us their hearts and heads for free if we had just known how to ask them for it. And truly human leadership asks people in a compassionate and caring way for their heads and their hearts. And they connect their heads and their hearts to their hands 
and we get caring institutions where people feel valued. And when people feel value, they feel safe and they will share amazing gifts that even they didn't know. And the combination of amazing gifts is a thriving organization. And that's what people tell us we have when they visit and talk to our people. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I have one other question just out of curiosity. Uh, how does this all apply to, to sort of the world of millennials who are off doing, you know, personal projects and, you know, people whose, whose ambitions don't necessarily involve uh, being at, at one company for a long time? But, you know, like my ambitions have never been to go work for somebody else. Well, you know, remember, you have I think you said earlier in the conversation that you've been in quotes fired a few times. Yeah. OK, OK, let me just go back. One of the things that I'd like to change in my lifetime is the language of business. We call people managers, bosses, and supervisors in business. You know, who's your boss? Who's your manager? Who's your supervisor? Those words are destructive words because nobody wants to be supervised, managed, or bossed around. Okay? Why don't we call them leaders, mentors, and coaches? Mm-hmm. Because everybody wants to. Everybody would love to be introduced as my. This is my leader. This is my coach. This is my mentor. Okay, so if we could change, and if we could change the words you use, I I would love it if in your podcast you never use those words again because they're the broken language of business and they encourage and facilitate behavior that is broken. The other word you used is fired. You know where that came from? Somebody told me once that came from a firing squad. Wow. Okay, just think what you know. If any of your readers uh, have some children, which I'm sure they do, can you imagine? How would it feel if your son or daughter got fired from an organization? Fired from an organization? It'd be, you know, we don't want that for our kids. So why do we describe it as firing? Okay. We have to address, I call it hard love. You know, when you, somebody will come to me and say, what do I do about this gentleman, this person, this lady in my organization that I have a problem with? And, and, and I've tried to address it and they just can't get it. I said, treat them like you would do your own son or daughter. They'd say to me, well, that would be different. And I said, why would it be different? Well, I'm going I'm to treat my son and daughter with love and care. Well, why wouldn't you treat somebody else's son and daughter with love and care? So I would say to you that when we have situations, both in leadership position and in team member positions, where despite our best of efforts, people simply are not able to embrace truly human leadership we need to deal with c- compassion and care because it, 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 we don't know their background, their personality, what they've been subjected to. And we just need to, you know, we need to make the right decision and deal compassionately with them so they can leave with dignity and respect and have a chance to learn from that experience and go on to do something good someplace else. Wow. Well, Bob, uh, this has been amazing. I feel like I've just gotten a second course in leadership from business school. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Minutes. It's a privilege to talk seriously. Your questions have been very helpful uh, and, and very thoughtful. Yeah. So I have one last question, which is how we close all our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think when somebody touches your heart. Well, like I said, uh, this has been profound and thought-provoking, and uh, I I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Well, you are a very good uh, facilitator of that, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly, and and thank you for the privilege of reaching the audience that's following your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. 
Wednesday on the Unmistakable Creative. Uh, you know, growing up as a teenager, maybe maybe not everybody can resonate this, but I, I just had a really challenging environment. You know, when I was uh, 11 years old, I got taken out of my home, put into foster care, bounced between group homes and foster homes, ended up getting into drugs when I was 13, spent time with people twice my age, and uh, by the time I was 17, I uh, ended up in jail twice. And really, the moment that um, changed it all for me was uh, was this uh, essentially a high-speed chase I got into, ended up crashing into a house, had my uh, the car surrounded by cops, and I had a gun with me. And I told myself I didn't want to go back to jail. And uh, when I went to reach for the gun, it got stuck. And 30 seconds after smashing into that uh, house, the door opened, the cops pulled me out, my feet didn't even touch the ground. And I woke up sober the next morning in this jail cell. Tune in for my conversation with Dan Martell, all about the inner game of entrepreneurship. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. 
the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.